Well, welcome Summit Church. My name is Curtis and I am one of the pastors here. What an incredible last few weekends indeed. Um, It's been such an honor and privilege to see what God is doing in and through you firsthand. And uh, my prayer for this weekend is that he does not let up one bit. I pray that he continues to work miracles among us. Amen. Amen. Well, um, when I found out a few weeks ago that I was going to be preaching the weekend after Easter, um, one of my first thoughts was like, what in the world are you supposed to preach after Easter weekend? Like, what kind of message do I give you that's better than Jesus rose from the dead to save all of humanity? You know, like, I'm, I'm not quite sure what's better than that message. And so it got me thinking um, back to something somebody told me a few years ago, which was, they said, as a pastor, if you always preach from your weaknesses, then you will never run out of material. (laughs) And so that's exactly what I want to do this morning. I want to preach on something that um, I struggle with daily, uh, dare I say, even hourly, and that is the sin of comparison. I'll say it again so y'all can groan a little louder. (laughs) The sin of comparison. The title of my message today is Freedom from Comparison. Freedom from Comparison. Um, Here's just some really thick irony for you. As I was preparing a message on comparison this week, let me just give you a little insight into the mind of me, into the mind of a pastor as I'm preparing a message on comparison. Here it is. Great. Everybody's going to be really disappointed Pastor J.D.'s not here this weekend. (laughs) I wonder what they're going to think of me. I wonder what J.D. would have preached on the weekend after Easter. I wonder how he would preach on the topic of comparison. Should I also use the TV for my slides? (laughs) Should I tattoo my ring finger? Would that be cool? Should I also say that I love Nicolas Cage? Is that too far? Like, like this is real life, even for a pastor. These are the kind of, th- and can I just set the record straight for one second? Let me just go ahead. Nicolas Cage is the most overrated actor of our generation. Actor in air quotes. Say, Nicolas Cage will never be one-tenth of the actor that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. Let me just throw that out there, all right? You want to know the sad part all weekend? That's the biggest applause I've gotten in my entire sermon. So it's just downhill from here. <laughs> um, I digress. Comparison, comparison. Pastor Andy Stanley defines comparison this way. He says, comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. Comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. See, no matter where we are in life, we are always looking around, comparing, thinking, why don't I have as much as they have? Or why don't I have the opportunities they have? Or I wish I had the talents or the looks that they have. I wish I had the family that they have. And we just do this compulsively, like whether we know it or not. And social media has just made this a million times worse, right? Like, like just think about it. It's April 1st. You've finally mustered up the courage to go fulfill your New Year's resolution of getting in the gym. And you get in there and you hit 30 hard minutes on the elliptical, you went two miles, you go home, you're feeling great about yourself until you open up Instagram and there he is, CrossFit Corey. (laughs) Not only did Corey do two miles a day, but he did them with handstand walks with a 30 pound kettlebell in between his legs and all of a sudden your little elliptical doesn't seem so great anymore, does it? Or maybe you're just hanging out having a great day, everything's good, till all of a sudden you see your friend out on the town eating sushi with her well-dressed man while you're eating frozen pizza and your man is playing video games. (laughs) And all of a sudden life is not very glamorous, right? (laughs) Like this is real life. 
But let me just go ahead, before we even get too far into this, let me lay an initial ground rule for you, and it's this. It's you cannot compare your real life with someone else's social media life. (laughs) Because you realize most people aren't all that they post to be, right? (laughs) Like real life actually happens in between all the cropping and filtering, and I promise you, the grass always looks greener on social media, okay? (laughs) But this is how comparison works. You're just chilling, and then you grab your phone and you see your perfect little friend with her perfect little cute journal, with her perfect little fancy creative calligraphy writing hashtag goals next to her perfect little green healthy smoothie and an open book next to a pool. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're just in this internal argument with yourself and you're like, well, isn't that nice for her? (laughs) If only I had as much free time as she has. If only my family made as much money as her family. I could spend all day making green smoothies and working out and looking like her and wearing nice clothes like her too. If only I had what she had. If only I had what he had, then I would be satisfied with life. (laughs) If only, two of the deadliest words in a Christian's vocabulary. If only I had as much money as him. If only I was as smart as her. If only I looked like her. If only my kids were as well behaved as theirs. If only my parents weren't crazy. If only my in-laws weren't suffocating. If only I could speak or work or cook or travel or think or do or be like someone else, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. Then I would feel like I am enough. See, comparison is such a subtle sin because it's almost always internal. And it's one of Satan's greatest tools against Christians because it's so easy for him to use. He doesn't really have to do anything. He just has to convince us to take our eyes off of Christ and simply look at something or someone else for just a split second because he knows that we will instantly begin comparing. And before we get too far, let me give one quick caveat when I'm talking about comparison. I'm not talking about godly comparison because comparison is not inherently sinful. There is a godly type of comparison. And in fact, the Bible warns us or wants us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's Hebrews. To some degree, imitation requires comparison. But what we need to do is train ourselves how to compare properly, not cut ourselves off from the necessity of comparison. We need to lead our comparisons in the right direction, which is away from envy and pride and covetousness and self-pity and insecurity and toward Christ-like imitation and the fear of God. The kind of comparison I want to talk about this morning, um, I think is perfectly summed up by author Jaquel Crow. She sums it up like this. She says, we as a society, we are plagued by comparison. We compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our stuff, our intellects in an ever-increasing desire for complete satisfaction. We want to be attractive, successful, and happy. And so we measure ourselves against the people around us. But instead of resulting in contentment, our comparison delivers compulsive jealousy, pride, and shame. We envy those who are better than us, and we look down on those who are worse than us. And once we've started comparing ourselves, we slide into a bitterly insatiable cycle because the more we compare ourselves, the more we need to compare ourselves. We're on a quest for acceptance and joy, but are paralyzed by the pressure to look, to do, and to be better than the people around us. Because of this, we are distracted from our purpose, distracted from our mission, and distracted from our need to pursue holiness. This is why comparison is so deadly. (laughs) Any of y'all resonate with this at all? Anybody? 
about 15 of y'all. All right, the rest of y'all, the next 30 minutes, just sit there, polish your halos. The word of God will cut the rest of us open and we'll deal with this. All right, that's fine. So, so what do we do with this? Well, I want to show you how scripture, I believe, answers the question of comparison. And here's the big question that comparison is asking. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? Put another way, how can I know that I am enough? And so I want to look at a little story in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. So go ahead and make your way there. And while you're finding it, let me just tell you what's happened leading up to John chapter 21. See, the chapter right before John 21, John 20, um, Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. So that was last weekend, that's Easter. And at the beginning of John 21, what's happened is the disciples, who at this point are being led by Peter, they've decided to stop evangelizing, stop doing all the things that Jesus taught them, and go back to fishing, which is what they used to do. Because see, Jesus wasn't working on their timeline, so they decided to go back and do what was comfortable. (laughs) It's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. Well, what happens at the beginning of John 21 is uh, John begins to zoom in on one disciple in particular, and that's the disciple Peter. In fact, if you were just reading the book of John from beginning to end, what you'd feel like is that John 21 is just randomly tacked on because John 20 actually feels like the natural ending of the book. Because John 20, again, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's made himself known to everybody. And then John actually, at the end of chapter 20, makes this grand purpose statement for the book where he says, hey, I wrote all these things down for you so that you may believe in Jesus and have life in his name. But here's why it doesn't end in John chapter 20. It doesn't end there because John's gospel can't end until Peter has been brought back in. Because see, the last time we saw Peter in John's gospel, Peter was busy denying Jesus as Jesus was headed to the cross. The book of John can't end because the gospel is not just about Jesus's story. It's also about Peter's story. And it's also about your story as well. The gospel is incomplete in your life until the resurrection has been applied to you. So John zooms in on Peter. And what we see is Jesus in John chapter 21 shows up. He's on the shore. He sees the disciples out fishing. They're out in the middle of the sea. And he screams and he says, hey, they don't know who that's him yet. He says, cast your net over to the other side. And they end up catching a bunch of things, which is reminiscent of what happened at the beginning of John. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He decides to jump out of the boat and swim as fast as he can to shore. The other disciples come to shore. Jesus has already cooked a little meal where he got the fish. I don't know. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. So they end up having this little meal with Jesus. This is the first time Peter has seen him since he denied him as he was heading to the cross. And then during this meal, Jesus begins to, at least on the surface, it seems like kind of pester Peter a little bit. So he says, hey, Peter, in front of everybody publicly, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course I love you, Jesus. And he asks him a second time. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course I love you. And he asks him a third time publicly. He says, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, Peter's almost just irritated. He's like, of course I love you. But see, what this is symbolizing is the three times Peter had denied Jesus publicly. Jesus is giving three times to affirm his faith and belief and love for him publicly. So this is good news for Peter. Peter is being restored by the very Savior that he had previously denied. And that's where we pick up in verse 18. So John chapter 21, beginning in verse 18, Peter has just been restored. And then Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So he's just restored Peter. And what he's telling him is, Peter, hey, one day you are going to die and you're gonna die by crucifixion. Your hands are gonna be stretched out and you're gonna go where you do not want to go. That's what he's telling him. Verse 19, 
This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Again, Jesus has just told him, Peter, you're back. I've been chasing after you. You're back in the fold. I love you. No hard feelings on that whole denying me thing. Just follow me. And you'd think Peter's answer would be like, follow you? Absolutely. Where are we going? I'm willing to go wherever you tell me to go. Do whatever you tell me to do. Let's go. I am sent. I'm following you. (laughs) But here's why I love Peter. Because Peter is so easy to relate to. He's just been restored after denying Jesus. And just when you think he can't say anything or do anything dumber, he goes and totally redeems himself in verse 20. All right? Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He's talking about the disciple John. John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter turns and sees John following them. Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus has just told him. You're back. You're going to love me. You're going to lead for me. And then one day, Peter, you are going to show the greatest courage for me by dying for me and glorifying me. And Peter immediately reaches in his pocket, pulls out his phone, opens up Instagram, and he's like, what's going to happen to my buddy John? Like, what's going to happen to this guy? And Jesus rolls his eyes one more time, and he's like, for the love, Peter, will you please stop comparing yourself to others? Put your phone away. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Just follow me. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What I decide to do with John, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Stop looking at John and keep your eyes on me, Peter. See, Peter was measuring his worth and his value based on what Jesus thought about John. Jesus, how important is my mission compared to John's mission? And this is what comparison does. It causes us to look somewhere other than Christ to determine our value, our worth, our happiness, and our satisfaction. And so the first thing I want to look at this morning is the cost of comparison. The cost of comparison. Because you see, comparison always forces us to see the world through the lens of better than or worse than. So what happens is you're hanging out with somebody or you look at someone and you immediately determine that you are better than or superior to them. So the first cost of comparison is pride. It's pride. This is, again, as Pastor Andy Stanley says, he calls this living in the land of Ur, E-R, living in the land of Ur. Because see, the land of Ur recognizes that it's not just enough for me to have something. I need to have more Ur than somebody else. (laughs) So it's not just enough for me to be thin. I need to be thinner than somebody else. (laughs) It's not just enough for me to be rich. I need to be rich Ur or happy Ur or better or smarter or pretty Ur or healthy Ur. This is the land of Ur. And I think this is exactly where Peter was living because he wasn't satisfied with just glorifying Jesus. He needed to glorify Ur, Jesus, more than John. Does that make sense? And this land isn't new. This land did not just come about in the social media age. If we were actually to look back at Luke 18, what we would see is a story about a Pharisee, a religious elite who stands up in public and prays about himself. It would be as if somebody walks up on this stage and in front of everybody begins praying and says, God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for how you have made me. And I want to thank you that you have not made me like all these people. (laughs) These adulterers and tax collectors and sinners and robbers and evildoers. See, the the Pharisee determined that as long as he was more er than the ers, that he thought that's what made him worthy and respectable and enough in God's eyes. 
And it's easy to think, well, I mean, of course I would never pray that. Like, that's not my prayer life. But this is exactly what comparison does. And if we're honest with ourselves in here, aren't Christians the absolute best at finding people that are worse than them? <laughs> like, we're masters at this. I think most Christians have a PhD in pride is what I would say. And so listen to this quote from Bible author Trevin Wax. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, this one's going to hurt a little bit. Trevin says, if you feel like you have reason to boast because you are still a virgin, because you are heterosexual, or because you've never been divorced, then you need a fresh dose of God's grace. As long as you are looking up to God for salvation, you cannot look down on anyone else. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 12, 3. He says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Because see, both Trevin and the Apostle Paul are asking, they're asking the question, how can a Christian, how can someone who professes the name of Christ, how can someone who has declared, hey, I did nothing to deserve my salvation. The only thing I brought to my salvation was sin, that I was dead, I was lost, I was on my way to hell, I was unworthy, and yet Jesus stepped in to save me. Jesus took my sin, gave me his perfect record, his perfect spotless righteousness. How can that person boast in anything other than the cross of Christ? That's what they're asking. Pride is completely antithetical and completely opposite of the faith that we profess as Christians. Pride only wants glory for the self and it sees others in comparison as threats to that self-glory. So if we are not ruthlessly pursuing humility, pride will always hijack comparison. You take your hands off the wheel for two seconds and I guarantee your heart will veer straight towards pride. Another cost of comparison is that it leads to jealousy or resentment. Jealousy or resentment. And again, I have to imagine, um, stick with me, I have to imagine Peter actually resented John a little bit. Here's why. Again, I, I said it earlier, but John spoke of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Let's just clear the air. Anybody that speaks about themselves in third person is pretty annoying in the first place. And so um, I think Peter resents him a little bit there. And then also, um, there's this story about when Peter and John are both running to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday to see if Jesus is still there. John decides that this is a good point to show everyone for the rest of history, for eternity, who won the race to the tomb. And John says, so we were running, and then I, the disciple whom Jesus loved, got to the tomb first. Oh, yeah, and Peter followed. He was behind me. I won the race in case anybody was asking this whole thing about Jesus. He, just take, he like goes through painstaking links to show that I beat Peter in a race. So I have to imagine Peter resented him just a little bit. Like, have you ever had that friend? I mean, have, you, have you ever had that friend that everything always seems to go their way? Like the cards always fall in their favor. God's good grace and mercy is just always shining upon them. And then maybe one day, just once in their entire life, something doesn't go their way. And inwardly, you actually rejoice a little bit. <laughs> like, it's okay, this is church. It's okay not to be okay. So they call you. They call you and they're like, hey, man, I just, oh, man, what a rough day. And you're like, I've never heard that out of your mouth. You're like, this thing happened. And, you're, and secretly, you're on the other line and you're like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I hate that that happened to you. But like, how mess, like, what kind of friendship is that? What's happening is you are resenting God's blessing on someone else's life because you're comparing what God has chosen to give them versus what he has supposedly withheld from you. You've tricked yourself into thinking that God has withheld something good from us. And so what it ends up doing is building resentment toward others and resentment towards God. How absurd is this? Comparison always leads us to resent God's goodness in others' lives while completely ignoring his blessing in our own. Let me just ask you something. 
What if you woke up today with only the things that you thanked God for yesterday? What if you woke up today with only the things that you thanked God for yesterday? God in heaven, help us realize that we as believers have no need to be jealous about anything because we have everything we need for life and godliness and happiness and satisfaction in Christ Jesus. Another cost is insecurity. Insecurity. Because again, this is what the sin of comparison does. It makes us try to find some external win to satisfy an internal longing. Peter, Peter needed to know Jesus. What am I worth compared to John? But listen, there is no external answer to your internal spiritual need. External validation from someone or something can never fill an internal void. That's why Augustine used to say, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Christ. A heart looking for peace will only find it in Christ, not in comparison. External possessions can never take the place of the eternal peace that's found in Christ Jesus. So stop measuring yourself against others only to feel like you always come up short anyways and start looking to the Messiah for the fulfillment and worth that you've always been looking for. Pride, jealousy, envy, resentment, insecurity, probably a litany of other things. They all come from looking at others and comparing. Lady earlier said, when, when we compare, it always leads to despair. <laughs> I like that. Stop looking at John and start following Jesus. So that's the cost. What's the cure? Well, the cure for comparison, very simple. Recognize your calling. <laughs> Recognize your calling. See, I think every single person has been given a specific, a unique, and a divine purpose and calling in life. If you really think about it, think about the most happy, joy-filled people that you know in life. They are people that are not trying to be anything other than what God created them to be, right? They've discovered the secret that it's hard to be distracted with comparison when you are captivated by your calling in Christ. And so John shows us that there are two distinct callings for every believer. There are two distinct callings for every believer. So the first cure for comparison is to recognize your universal calling. Universal calling. Let's look back at verse 19. Verse 19, Jesus is talking to Peter about halfway through and he says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. When he saw him, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me, follow me. In the book of John, Jesus' very first words to the disciples and Jesus' very last words to the disciples are simple. They are follow me, follow me, become more and more like me. That is the universal call of every single Christian to become more and more like Jesus as you follow him daily. That's it, follow Jesus, look like Jesus. That is your universal call. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Hebrews 12, which says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us run with endurance, the race that is what? The race that has been marked out for us. There's a lane that has been marked out for you. Your job is to run in that lane. And while you're running in that lane, you keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes focused on the prize. Peter's calling, which is our universal calling, is to keep our eyes on Jesus and run the race that has been marked out for us. Don't worry about anybody else's race. When was the last time you watched the Olympics and you saw a runner running like this? Ain't nobody run like that. That's dumb. 
Your job is to keep your eyes focused on Christ and to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Tap somebody, say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Your lane is to keep your eyes on Jesus and to follow him. Don't worry about what someone else is doing in their lane. God has marked out your lane, so keep your eyes focused on him and follow him. Don't worry about what John is over there doing in his lane, Peter. What is that to you? Just follow Jesus. What's that to you that that person always has everything go their way? It does not matter. Stay in your lane and follow me. What's that to you that she can manage five kids while keeping her house clean, afford Starbucks daily, and reads a book a week? It does not matter. Stay in your lane and follow me. What's that to you that he doesn't even have to study and he aces the test and you study your butt off and you barely pass. It does not matter. Stay in your lane and follow me. What's that to you, Curtis, that Pastor J.D. can preach the paint off the walls week after week. It does not matter. Stay in your lane and follow me. (laughs) John, John has a big house and a nice car and two and a half kids and a gorgeous wife and a golden retriever and a great job. What is that to you? Stay in your lane and follow me. That's your lane. Follow Jesus. Become more and more like Jesus. If you think you need Jesus plus something, or if you think you need Jesus plus someone to be satisfied in life, if you think you need Jesus plus something that is in another lane to be happy or satisfied, let me tell you, you have never truly met the Jesus of the Bible. You've never seen him in all his glory. You've never seen him in all his worth and all his beauty and all his majesty. I have words for days that I could use for Jesus and how wonderful he is because the beauty of the gospel is that even without all this other stuff, even without talents, even without looks, even without somebody else's approval, even without things, even without money, whatever, that you are still loved unconditionally by the God of the universe. And he has marked out a lane for you. British pastor Charles Spurgeon used to say that if you were not content with what you have right this very second, you would not be satisfied even if it were doubled because you have not yet realized that Jesus is all you need. Because see, for us as Christians, we need to remember how good God has been to us in Jesus Christ. We have to come to the point where if Jesus died to save us and that's all he ever did for us, that that would be enough that that alone is way more than anything we ever deserved. And so I know some of you right now are like, dang, pastor, like you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm not grateful and I, I really ought to be. But then some of you hear this and you're like, I, I get what you're saying, but nothing in life ever goes my way. I'm, I'm hurt, like I'm really hurting And I've been through some real tragedy and I'm going through some stuff. And what it sounds like you're offering me is a Band-Aid to cover up a bullet wound. Pastor, I don't think gratitude is the cure-all for my suffering right now. If that's you, hear me very clearly. No one here wants to minimize what you have been through or what you are going through. We want to walk through that dark valley with you because you see part of Jesus being enough is seeing that play out in the way that we weep with those who are weeping. So let me repeat myself very clearly. Jesus really is enough because Jesus knows what it means to suffer and he gave you his church to help you when you suffer and to walk alongside you. And I know that during hard times, it is so easy to look around and see how good God has been to somebody else and compare it with what God has supposedly withheld from you. 
but just hear Jesus's voice right this very moment, lovingly declare, follow me and I promise I will sustain you in your suffering because I am enough. Forget about John, follow Jesus. That is your universal calling. Every person in here, that is your universal calling. The second cure for comparison is to recognize your unique calling. So you have a universal calling, then every person has a unique calling. Let's back up a few verses to verse 18. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Your unique calling is the specific way in which God has called you to glorify him. For Peter, that was to die a martyr's death by crucifixion. Peter understood this calling eventually. If you went on to read First and Second Peter, you'd see that Peter finally gets it. And you might be asking, if you were just reading this for the first time, you might be asking, why in the world would Jesus tell Peter this right after he brings him back in the fold, right? Like, how discouraging. Peter, I love you. I've been chasing after you. You are back. Follow me. Let's take the world for Jesus. Side note, you're going to die by crucifixion. Like, wouldn't it have been better just to not tell him at all? Or at least have some bedside manner, please, Jesus. Come on. I said, no. It's important that he tell Peter this because Peter needed to know that next time he got into a life or death situation that he would not deny his Lord like he had previously. He needed to know that when they took him, when they captured him and tied him up and stretched out his hands and nailed him to a cross that ultimately he would glorify God in his death. Jesus knew that what Peter needed in that moment was not pity, but rather perspective that his life was gonna ultimately turn out to what would be to glorify God. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. And I believe it's that perspective, him knowing his unique purpose, that that's what actually put power into his life, that that's what put boldness into Peter's bones to the point that when it came time for him to be crucified, tradition tells us that he asked to be crucified upside down because he did not think he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner in which his Lord and Savior who had chased after him and brought him back was. How would your perspective change if you knew that what you were doing each and every day No matter how it turned out from a worldly standpoint, how would your perspective change if you knew what you were doing would all end in God's glory? Because see, for some of you, your unique calling is gonna be to go to the mission field and see many people come to know Jesus. While others, your unique calling is gonna be to stay right here in Raleigh-Durham and pour into your neighbor for years and years and years, even when it seems like God is not working at all in that person's life. For some, your unique calling will be to raise your kids in admonition of the Lord day in and day out, even when it is hard and monotonous. For others, it will be actually to suffer well in your pain of never having kids, even though you so desire them. For some, your unique calling is going to be to make lots of money in the business world, and that is fantastic. But for others of you, it's going to be to exude the joy found in Christ and Christ alone, even when you don't have many worldly possessions. Peter understood his unique calling eventually and it glorified God. Do you know what yours is? If you don't, I would just ask you this week, spend some time praying about this. Ask the spirit to reveal it to you. What are your giftings? What are your skills? What are your abilities? How can those things be used to advance the kingdom? What need is there that you could fill? Ask your community or your friends or your small group what they think you're good at. How do those who are closest to you affirm you? And I know, even as I'm asking that question, a lot of you have instantly jumped back to comparing. 
You're thinking, well, I'm not really good at anything. Like, I, I don't really have much to offer. You've reverted back to insecurity and jealousy and envy and, it, well, if I was only like him, God, or if I was only like her, God, then you could use me. Listen to this quote by the late Oswald Chambers. He says, the way we continually talk about our own inabilities is an insult to our creator. To complain over our incompetence is to accuse God falsely of having overlooked us. Here's what I know. If you are somewhere, God has called you there. Wherever you are, at any given moment, God has sovereignly appointed you to be there and has something very specific for you to do because God does not waste anything and he most certainly will not waste a life made in his image. So don't you dare waste your life comparing your calling with somebody else's. You are called to do exactly what God has designed for you to do in the exact time he has designed for you to do it in the exact way he has designed for you to do it in the exact way he called you to do it. And that means you are one of a kind. <laughs> So why bother comparing what's designed to be one of a kind? Here's the Christian credo. Become more and more like Jesus, universal calling, and unlike anyone God has ever created, unique calling. Become more and more like Jesus and unlike anyone God has ever created. Because listen to me, once you put your faith in Jesus, you are not just anything. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you are not just a teacher. Listen, you are God's representative in the classroom of what it looks like when Jesus teaches the Pythagorean theorem. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you are not just a student. You are God's representative at your university so that they can see what Jesus looks like when he studies hard and shows up on time to class. You are not just a nurse. You are God's representative in the medical field of what it looks like when Jesus cares for someone who is hurting and in pain. You're not even just a barista. You are God's representative at Starbucks so the coffee world can know what it looks like when Jesus serves a grande triple caramel macchiato light whip with almond milk. Once you put your faith in Christ, you are not just anything. You are not just a stay-at-home mom. You are God's representative in your home so your kids can see how Jesus will never stop loving them, being patient with them, will always be faithful to them, will never give up on them, will always be there to put band-aids on scraped knees and will wipe away tears from their eyes. God formed you, your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. God made you exactly who you are. And listen, God does not make mistakes. <laughs> Repeat this after me. Say, God doesn't make mistakes. And God made me. <laughs> Say it again. God does not make mistakes. <laughs> and God made me. <laughs> See, we compare because we're trying to feel special enough or worthy enough, but you don't know how special or worthy you already are because you have decided to take your eyes off of Jesus, take your eyes off of the cross, to step out of your lane at the cross where God put his love on display for you. God does not make mistakes and God made you. Jesus chose you. Jesus appointed you. Jesus will equip you. His grace will always be sufficient for you. He will complete the work he has begun in you and he has promised to always be with you until the end of age. Who cares what John is doing? John is in his own lane. What is that to you? Follow Jesus and glorify him by being exactly who God made you to be in Christ Jesus. Listen, comparison isn't just unhealthy for Christians. It is downright antithetical to the faith that we profess. Yes, 
The gospel is a message of radical acceptance. But it starts with recognizing that we, me, you, none of us, that we are not okay. That we are not beautiful. That we are not worthy. That we are not successful. That we are not perfect. That we are not better than anyone. That we are all sinners. Every single one of us. But the good news is that in Christ, God has accepted us. He has cleansed us. He has clothed us and saved us and changed us and loved us and adopted us, even as that's what we bring to the table. He is the one who fulfills us to the point where we no longer need external validation because we have internally been satisfied in Christ. Have you received him yet? To go ahead and bow your heads. And I want to return to that question I asked at the very beginning. I want you to honestly ask yourself this question Who or what is going to determine my worth? Only when your validation is from Christ and not anything or anyone else will you truly be satisfied, will you truly be able to stop searching and comparing and be whole. That comes from receiving Christ personally. And so if you have never done that and you want to do that today, right there in your seat, you can pray silently to yourself. You can pray something that sounds just like this. You can say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've tried to find my worth in comparing myself to others. But today I see Jesus clearly and I want to receive him as savior. I believe he died in my place. And today I believe that he is enough for me. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything right this moment. Here's what I am gonna ask you to do. I want you to just tell somebody. Before you leave today, tell somebody. Tell the person you came with after services come and talk to one of our pastors or somebody on the prayer team. Just grab somebody and just tell them that you have made that decision today so that they can rejoice with you and walk alongside you. But here's how I wanna end. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm gonna say some phrases and I'm gonna ask you to repeat them out loud. I want everyone together to repeat these phrases because I believe you need to hear these things coming out of your own mouth. These are the words of God, his declaration over your life and you need to feel the power of these things. You need to believe them. So I'm gonna say, say something and then you repeat it after me. Say, in Christ, I am chosen. I am changed. I am a new creation. I am forgiven. I am blessed. I am victorious. I am set free. I am healed. I am free from condemnation. I am more than a conqueror. I am dead to sin. I am alive with Christ. I'm accepted in him and I am complete in him. God, I pray that we would stop comparing and start looking to Christ alone. Help us realize that we are already fully known and fully loved by you, oh Lord. 
Would each of us today be able to leave this place declaring alongside the Apostle Paul that by the grace of God, I am what I am because Jesus, you are who you are and you are enough.